Welcome to the Middle Church Podcast, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational movement of spirit and justice, powered by revolutionary love with room for everyone. No matter where you are, how you look, or who you love, we pray this podcast will help you on your journey. Here's this week's sermon. I was working on my sermon and reading this text out loud, and John said, right there, that line right there, you should repeat that line. And I was like, well, actually, the psalmist repeats it, but, but, but let me repeat it again, because it is important that the psalmist is emphasizing this. I'll complete what I promised I'd do. I, 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 I'll complete what I promised I'd do, and I'll do it with your people in God's house, in God's economy, in God's city, Jerusalem, which stands in for the whole creation. When you read the psalm the way the lectionary has it laid out, it really focuses on those first few lines, I love the Lord who heard my cry. In fact, that inspired Richard Smallwood's song, and pitied every groan, as long as I live and troubles rise, I'll hasten to God's throne. That's kind of what what the lectionary does. But when you read the whole psalm, you see actually where the psalmist ends and repeat is the psalmist's intention. It isn't just that God heard my cry. It's that I am seen and known and loved by God, seen and known and heard and loved by God, and that's a relationship. And in the relationship, I also have a responsibility. I'm not just out here crying and getting my cries answered. I'm out here being called by God to do the work, to complete the promise I said I would do, and to do it with your people in God's house, in God's economy, in God's city, which is all of the creation. So what's the work? What's the promise? What's the work? The work is we're called to love God with all we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love God with everything and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in fact... In the witness of scripture, you can't be loving God if you're not loving your neighbor. Like like scriptures say, if you say you love God but you hate your brothers and sisters, you're a big old fat liar. (laughs) Just lying and having a good time at it. (laughs) To love your God is to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself is to love your God. That's the proof that's in the pudding is that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love, not not obsessed with love, not attracted to love, not lust, love your neighbor. Love fiercely your neighbor, which which my favorite definition is a non-possessive delight and the unique particularity of that person. The non-possessive delight and the unique particularity, not where you were last night, not let me bust up your phone because you didn't show up, not not obsessive, possessive, but a non-possessive delight, not jealousy, no, commitment, not not, um, uh, power over, but power with equity, equality, mutuality, collaboration, community. I can't be who I am unless you're who you are. Uh, Ubuntu love. I'm inextricably connected to you. 
My thriving and my surviving counts on Beth. Beth's healthcare, my healthcare. Edna's thirsty, my thirsty. The baby's stomachache, my stomachache. The trans people being oppressed, my oppression. The queer people still can't just be queer all day, every day without my problem. The seemingly permanent, pernicious, white supremacist racism in America, our problem. Your problem. Anti-Semitism, your problem, right? Anti-immigration, your problem, right? Baby ain't got no food, whose baby? Appalachian baby, black baby, Hispanic baby, indigenous baby? Our baby. That's the kind of love that God is expecting us to do. Because we're in a relationship with God. God hears us, sees us, knows us, calls us, expects something from us. And all the world's religions talk about this neighbor love, right? Um, Christianity, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Uh, Judaism, uh, you will love the stranger. Right? Only one time does the Jewish text say, love your neighbor as yourself. But 37 times it says you will love the stranger because you were strangers in a strange land. Islam, which you know, can get a bad rap, says do not withhold some, from someone that which you need for yourself. And the, right? and the Sikh tradition, not Sikh but Sikh, actually says don't do anything to break anyone else's heart. Do not do anything to break anyone else's heart. What if the world was based on, I'm not going to do anything to break anybody's heart? Imagine. We'd be through with Juneteenth, right? Because we'd actually be liberated by now, right? We'd be every day just flourishing and thriving and surviving. This kind of neighbor love, I think, actually precedes the world's religions because it is Ubuntu. And Ubuntu is developed in the South African plains. Actually, before the South African plains were a desert, when it was a big old wetland. And I'm not a, a, a biologist, but I imagine all the slimy things on the wetland just sliming and having a good time. Then it's not working so well, so they get four legs and they slime around some more. And pretty soon, they're standing in the wetland on two feet, and they're kind of standing up, and they look up and they're like, whoop, 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 there's a sky. Holy cow, look out, look at the, come. Look outside the cave, baby, come on, let's go. And when they get outside into the light, <laughs> after having been slimy and muddy, they're like, look, we need Dean to cook. Dean's a good cook. We need Vicky to, 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 to be the warrior, because she's a good warrior. We need somebody. Carlos is going to invent fire, yeah. They come to understand that each of them has a role to play in the thriving of the community. It's one community. And it starts in Africa. <laughs> Do not mistake that. <laughs> you are all from Africa. I just like to say it. So we're all African American. <laughs> On the plains of Africa develops this philosophy of Ubuntu. Umuntu and Gabuntu and Gabantu. I learned that to impress Natalie. Umuntu and Gabuntu and Gabantu. 
A human is a human through other human. In all kinds of dialects in South Africa, that's what it is. I'm not human by myself. You are not human by yourself. Not any of us in this room, anyone on the planet, can be human by themselves. We have to, to quote Jerry Maguire, complete each other. And we are we're required because we made that promise in the covenant with God to take care of each other, no matter what. Our neighbor, love them. Oh, love the neighbor. Love the neighbor that you can't stand. Oh, how? Ask John Janka. I don't know. No. <laughs> love, 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 love the neighbor who doesn't love you. Love the neighbor who doesn't love your flesh. The ones who don't like queer people, the ones who don't like black people, the ones who kidnap indigenous kids, the ones who don't like the people who speak Spanish. Why are we speaking Spanish? Because they're more of us than you. That, that neighbor. <laughs> Count, people. <laughs> Get it together. Those neighbors that would pass laws to get rid of DEI in the school systems, those neighbors, those neighbors who, who build a wall against immigrants, those neighbors. Gosh darn it. Because if we don't get there together, we're never going to get to the promised land. We've got to take those weasels with us. Did I call them weasels? We have to take them with us. It is a whole people project to dismantle white supremacy in this world. All hands on deck, which brings me to my dad. My dad, who I left yesterday in a hospital room crying because his baby was leaving, and he doesn't know when I'm going to see him again. My 88-year-old dad with ALS can no longer play bid whist with his hands and throw the cards on the table and talk trash, can't feed himself, can't bathe himself, can't pull up his clothes. My dad, Richard Lewis, November 1st, 1934, born in Meridian, Mississippi, in Jim Crow apartheid. Hear me when I tell you. Walked past the colored school to go, walked past the white school to go to the colored school, the colored Catholic school. Abject poverty, loathed by his stepfather, a young chocolatey black man growing up in a time of terror and hatred, who joins the Air Force and meets my mother and has a thrill and makes a baby. That would be me. <laughs> <coughs> they, who were Jim Crowed to death in some ways, tried to raise their children to not be racist, to not interject the racist notions of America. So here we are, big, grown, long-legged children, and they're like, honey, I was at the grocery store, and that W-H-I-T-E woman got on my nerves. Like, we can't spell white. <laughs> that was their way of trying to create a little bit of a bubble around us, that we would not hear those, those labels and, and think those kinds of thoughts. Um, but my dad, my dad, uh, was in the Air Force Base as a non-commissioned officer and being treated like crap by the young white men who he managed. But my dad, when I was called the N-word for the first time in my kindergarten classroom on said Air Force Base, went to the base commander and demanded reparations and apology and got it. My dad, 
My dad really didn't have that much love for white people. I'm just going to say it straight up. He's he not waking up around thinking, how many white people can I be friends with? For sure. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> so, and understandable, right? A black Mississippi man, understandable. So when he met John Jenka for the first time, when we were friends, and I mean really just friends, not even friends with benefits, when he met John, he just despised John on sight. What is with this white man right here? And he despised him on sight because he looked like a white man who had tried to take his, father's, his mother's land. He looked like a white man who tried to take his mother's land, a, a, a man who my dad had to pull a gun on to protect his mother. So on sight, John is conjuring up ghosts. We all got ghosts being conjured up around racism in America. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. Somebody, that stupid teacher, that kid on the playground, that person who called you the N-word the first time and the second time, the way even your beloved father, mother, sister, brother called you out of your name and it had the word black in it or something. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Well, dad, did not like John. Met John at my graduation party, ignored John. John didn't, did not come to my wedding when I married John after we did have benefits. <laughs> but what did, but what, John, what did John do? John, white man with the power. Let me say that one more time. John, white man with the power, bought the airline tickets for us to go see my dad the day after our wedding because he wasn't going to be in a relationship with a girl whose dad he wasn't in a relationship with. He pursued my father, is what I'm saying. The white man with the power pursued my father, took him rum, OK, and my mother flowers, because that's their love language. And they sat in the backyard and talked and talked and talked and talked, and have talked and talked over 20 years, almost. And they love each other. They love each other. That's the work the psalmist is talking about. The work that I'm going to do in community of all the people is I'm going to keep my promise to love my God and love my neighbor as myself, all the people. I'm going to keep my covenant with God to love the people. That's the work. That's the Ubuntu work. The John Jenkins and the Richard Lewis's sitting down at table, getting to know each other's stories. Hell, dad will tell John stuff we don't even know. Because John's a good listener. <laughs> That's what I've been told. <laughs> it's true, but anyway. One relationship at a time, and then one system at a time, and then one hurdle at a time. We've got to dismantle this morass of anti-black white supremacist ideology that affects all of us, each of us. And we all have a job to do in it, OK? So I'm going to talk to white people first, because I've been on the Nice White People tour for many years now. And, and, and the tour might come to an end, so it's urgent. Nice white people, look at my face. Yes, you. I'm talking to y'all. Just because your pastor's black does not mean you've done your work. Yeah. 
work to do. Just because you took that class and joined the racism task force, you are not finished. You are never going to be finished, because we are not finished. You won't know enough, learn enough, read enough. You won't be close enough, black adjacent enough. You, won't, you can't finish it. So we got to stay with it. You got to stay with it. Because I need you to stay with it. I need you to question your assumptions and think about your language and ask yourself about the decisions you're making at the boardroom table. I need you to imagine my black self in the room with you when you're making policies and having your power because, balcony, you've got the power. People online, white people, you got the power. Poor Appalachian graduate from high school only might make more money than a black man with a college education. Facts. That's facts. Look up, look up wealth gap. So white people, every room you're in, every day you're in the room, all the frickin' time, take my black heart with you. Take it with you. Take Richard with you. Take Richard with you, a black man who has ALS likely from being in the service. Just take, take, take us with you, okay? Black people, can I have your attention? Ibram Kendi, in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, tells a story on himself, an embarrassing story, of being a young writer, speaker, in the year 2000, doing a speech about black people, sounding a little bit like Bill Cosby. You know, black people, all we want to do is get pregnant. Black people, we just want to play sports. You know, black people, we blah, blah, blah. Like, he had interjected the white stuff and was spitting it back out at his young black colleagues and getting all kinds of claps. Woo, tell them. We can drink the Kool-Aid because the Kool-Aid is ever present. The racism is in us. I had a picture of a black Jesus on my wall in my church in Trenton. A little black boy was like, that's not Jesus. From religion to education to hospital to healthcare, all the systems built by white people, black people participate in the systems, which is to say the system can get in us. It can get in us as self-hatred, self-loathing. It can get in us as black shame. Christina Cleveland's writing a book on that. But it also can get in us as like elitism and, and, and caste. And we look in a sconce at the poor black people like, what the hell is your problem? I'm saying, black people, we have to rid ourselves of the white thing that can get inside us like a toothful. Get it out. Get it out. And if you're not black or white, because this isn't just about black and white, I'm looking at you now. Asian friends, however you identify, Latinx people, all the people that are indigenous in the room, and all the things that are not black, South Indian, all the things, all the ways you identify that I won't, don't want to leave out, so therefore I'm not going to make a list. But if you are that, ask yourself how much of the Kool-Aid you've drunk about anti-blackness, about colorism, about who's beautiful, about what matters. How, how far will you run away to make sure you're not accidentally called black? What do you consume? What do you read? What do you put in the world? What, where do you participate accidentally or just by being quiet in the anti-black rhetoric that happens around you every day? And what is your job in disrupting it? Your job is to stand with me. I say your job is to stand with black.
and understand that white supremacy is out for all of us. You cannot escape it, and you won't. Okay, Jackie, that was fun. Thank you so much for that part. Um, in conclusion, <laughs> in conclusion, it's okay. In conclusion, Middle Church, you say you are called to do a bold new thing on the earth. Our vision statement says we're going to disrupt all the systems. And what I'm saying is you can't sit in the pews and disrupt the systems. And you also can't just be here and disrupt the systems. You can't be in a beautiful black church with a beautiful music, fabulous, 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 and disrupt the systems. You've got to take with you system disruptor plan when you leave these Sunday conversations. And we're going to convene soon another anti-racist group so we can learn some stuff. You've not read enough. You've not participated enough. You don't know enough yet. We don't. Any of us know enough yet. But we're going to know some more, and we're going to do some more. Are you ready? Because this is an emergency, y'all, right? And I'm sorry. Someone told me the other day, um, someone I love said, you know, it can feel like middle church is for the white people to learn about racism. I took that in deeply because I love the person who said it. And I thought to myself, yeah, I think I repeat myself a lot up in here because I'm not positive it's sinking in. So I'm going to say some newer, harder things to push us because that's my job. What's your job? Take me with you and get to work. Take me with you and get to work because why? Because you're in a relationship with God, and God says so. Together, in the community of all the people, we are going to fix what's broken in the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. To learn more about Middle Church, visit middlechurch.org. You can help grow this movement of love and justice by rating us on Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend or two. Send us an email at info at middlechurch.org if you have any questions or comments. We hope you'll come back next week. Bye for now. <laughs>